A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, Happy New Year. I'm Tim Farron and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. You might think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin. And well, yes, you would be right. But then again, so is everything else, isn't it? And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in and around the world of politics. Today, we'll be joined by Professor Francis Davis, who heads up Digby Stewart College, which is a faith-based institution at Roehampton University. Francis is a former non-executive director of an NHS trust, as well as a former ministerial advisor to the governments led by Gordon Brown and then the coalition. As concerns regarding the NHS ramp up, we'll get his thoughts on what needs to be done to get things back on track. And that's the issue I've got a few things to say about too. Remember the dark days of lockdown when we clapped for the NHS? The pandemic made us deeply aware of its value and importance. But nearly three years later, it seems close to collapse. 13 hour waits for ambulances, sick patients lying in corridors, staff exhausted and running on empty. The media tells of nationwide anguish and grief as we see the death of patients who might have survived in different circumstances. Meanwhile, the government is locked in a battle with the unions as medical workers stage strike action. What is happening and how can we respond? Over the past dozen years or so, NHS funding paid for by taxation has been tightened. Whilst our population has been getting older and living longer, this means more pressure on the NHS. But it has also become harder to recruit and retain staff, and one in 10 NHS posts are currently vacant. This means fewer people can be treated. And because successive governments have failed to grasp the nettle of social care in the community, many hospital beds are filled by people who are ready to be discharged, but have nowhere to go. A practice which goes by the horrid term bed blocking. Then came COVID. As well as the dreadful toll of the disease itself, many people did not come forward with other conditions during the pandemic. These people are now iller than they might have been. Waiting times for elective surgery are lengthy and flu and COVID rates are also rising. So a perfect storm is battering the NHS. Politicians of different parties lay the blame on different factors, but it is unarguable that there has been a lack of long-term planning by governments looking for short-term headlines. How can Christians respond to this situation then? Well, sometimes issues seem so big that we struggle to find a way in. Let's start by reminding ourselves, as we always do, that God is sovereign. In the words of Genesis 18, 14, when God promised the medical miracle of a baby to the elderly Abraham and Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, no crisis is too big for him to tackle, and no individual situation is too small for him to care about. The NHS is venerated almost as a religion in the UK, but let's remember that ultimately, just like politics, it cannot save us. Only Jesus can do that. But the NHS is our country's chosen method to provide healthcare to our population, and it is designed to build our capacity to live life to the full. The 1944 white paper introducing the concept of the NHS spoke of the need for a new attitude to promote increasing good health and the sense of well-being. The theologian Jürgen Moltmann defines health as the strength to be human. The value we place on healthcare points to our status as valued beings made in God's image. 
compassion and dignity for those being cared for, and a sense that the medical profession fulfills a high calling to serve others. Because we are Christians, we don't think that people with a chronic long-term condition, a terminal illness, or high social care needs are any less valuable than other folks. And so we will surely be prepared to fight for the resources that will show that we value them in practice, not just in theory. It's important also to think more broadly about the nation's health. Everything is linked to everything else and poor physical and mental health can be caused by poverty, unhealthy lifestyles, poor nutrition, air pollution, unsafe living conditions, which are in turn caused by wider social problems, such as a lack of educational and economic opportunity and family breakdown. Solutions need to take all these factors into account and not think of the NHS as an isolated service. So let's pray for wisdom for the Prime Minister, the Chancellor and the Health Secretary, for their ministers and civil servants, for NHS leaders and unions as they all seek a way forward. At a summit with health leaders at the weekend, Rishi Sunak said that a bold and radical approach is needed. Let's thank God that this summit took place and let's pray for God's guidance as discussions take place and for the participants always to remember the human dignity of patients and staff on the front line. Let's pray for strength and stamina for NHS staff and care workers who are exhausted by constant pressures and see no end in sight. If we need to access the health service ourselves, we can offer encouragement and support to the practitioners that we meet. It's not just the hospitals and care homes that are struggling. GP surgeries are hugely stretched and a kind word goes a long way. And let's pray for those who are ill and need the support of the NHS at this time and for their families, that they will not be afraid and they will be able to receive the care that they need. Let's pray ultimately that those facing illness and uncertainty will put their faith in Jesus, the ultimate saviour, and the one who promises in the words of Revelation 21, 4, that one day for those who will trust in him, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. So to our guest today, Professor Francis Davis, who heads up Digby Stewart College at Roehampton University. Francis, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for being with us. An honour to be here. Well, let's start where we often start with our guests and talk about faith, your faith in particular. Tell us a little bit, Francis, about your faith journey and how you found it. Well, I, I grew up um, in, a, in a Catholic family. My father's from Preston. My mother's from Roehampton, where I'm working now. And so, so I suppose that was always around in the family, but was particularly influenced early on by some Anglican clergy and some Catholic clergy that were very involved in homelessness, uh, in social care, and especially the anti-apartheid movement. So I suppose my faith came alive to me working in social justice organisations and social welfare organisations and seeing the difference that churches could make on the ground. And you, in those early days of your career, uh, work very much in setting up things like social enterprises and uh, providing uh, services such as Meals on Wheels and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I was supposed to go and get a job with Unilever, but I had an outbreak of Christian social conscience and went to work in central Southampton, uh, where we worked ecumenically to set up uh, city centre care, which still runs. Uh, we had uh, 250 volunteers and paid workers from the parish. Uh, doing home care and doing Meals on Wheels and all sorts of other things, and then got involved uh, with a friend, Reverend Brian Strevens, an Anglican clergyman, and we set up Social Care in Action, which still today employs a 1,000 people doing hospitals at home, NHS, um, social enterprise, dental clinics, and that kind of thing. 
That's amazing stuff. You alluded to having had an outbreak of Christian social conscience that led you uh, not, not to go into the private sector and to do those things that you have, have done. Um, just talk a little bit more maybe about what drives that. What is it about being a Christian that makes us want to do things that will maybe not make us as rich as we would have been otherwise, but will actually make a difference in the lives of others? Well, I think there's a bit to me, if you read scripture closely, about we need to be downwardly mobile, which is to choose to walk alongside those that struggle in the gutter or in the psychiatric unit or on the ward. And, and where we find people who suffer, we find people who are crucified. And of course, crucifixion is the first step, on, isn't it? It's only three days away from the liberation of, mm. of resurrection. So it just seems to me that we can... Um, we can encounter something of Christ in working with those who are poorest, but in, in working with those who've been set aside, enable them to be free. Um, you know, uh, we we also reenact um, what's been, you know, what happens in the process of the resurrection. Mm. Well, Francis, thanks very much. Let, let's get stuck into the, the real meat of the of the show today about the state of the national health service and, and social care. You've developed a strong and deep expertise in these areas. So let's start at a really simple level. What's gone wrong? Why is the NHS under so much pressure at the moment? Well, I mean, I would want to say there's not enough beds, there's not enough staff, and the balance between community care, nursing homes and hospitals is completely out of kilter. So mm -hmm. if you imagine this was the uh, Mr Kipling's production line, it's like we've lined up all of the ingredients for the cake in the wrong direction, and then we're trying to squeeze it all through the machine that makes the cake all at once. And the cake that the, the cake making machine is just collapsing because there's too many ingredients outside and no one delivering the cake after it's been made out the back end. So so that's the crisis that we've got. And, and why is thing why are things so much worse now? Is it the pandemic? We talk about winter pressures. Uh, is it to do with public spending cuts? What, why does it at least feel to me and as a constituency MP looking at the issues I come across, it certainly does feel under more pressure in more crisis than it's ever been before, both health and social care. Are there specific things that mean that in January 2023, things are uh, worse now than they appear to have been before? Well, I think Januarys have always been tough for the NHS because, uh, you know, that's when older people particularly will get the flu, uh, will have falls at Christmas, other things happen at Christmas that means that hospitals are busy. But we had the pandemic where essentially we set aside a lot of capacity to be able to look after those that were experiencing COVID. And that meant that lots of other people couldn't come through for other conditions. So there's a backlog coming there. Then we've got the pressure that comes from Christmas on top of that. And then we've also got the pressure of like changing patterns in society. So we've got an increasing number of elderly people. We've got an increasing number of disabled people who uh, are surviving into later life. So kind of think of it, new populations coming into this factory that makes the cakes, older people coming at Christmas, coming into the factory that makes the cakes, and then all the cakes that we didn't made while we were looking after the cakes we were making during COVID, all turning up at once, and we're trying to make all of that at the same time. It's no wonder the system is absolutely stressed out. But we've also got a bit of a problem, is that in the factory, we don't have enough staff. Mm. And then outside the factory, we don't have enough people to receive people. Uh, so there's not enough beds in the nursing home sector, not enough domiciliary care workers that's the people that will look after people in their own homes because when you come out of hospital you don't have to go to a nursing home you could come back to your own house be looked after there but that's a sector that's not cherished not celebrated not uh, uh, and not stuffed up as uh, to the extent that it needs to be to be able to make that that whole production process flow smoothly you, you spent time uh, as an advisor to john denham at the end of the 
Gordon Brown government when he was the communities and local government minister, therefore responsible for social care, at least an element of it. And then in the early days, the coalition government also acted as an advisor on uh, faith and, and community. Do you think that um, those governments going back a little while uh, bear responsibility? What, what could have been done 10, 15 years ago to have uh, avoided this? Well, I think one way to look at this, you know, is that um, the Department of Local Government looks after social care, the Department of Health looks after what happens in the hospital, mm. and the joining up of those two things, you know, has been an ongoing debate, and no one has really grasped that nettle. No one has sat there and said, let's work out what proportion of our personal wealth we're going to use on social care, for example, when we come out of hospital, or to stop us going into hospital. So I think Labour ducked it because they didn't think it was politically possible. The coalition ducked it. None of the hundreds of other prime ministers that we've had since then have actually grasped the nettle. Yeah. And so it seems to me that the leadership at the political level stepped away from, from that. I think another thing that they've not done is decentralised fast enough the ability of local leaders to be able to address some of these issues. Now, the exception to that is Manchester, where the coalition gave a lot more power to what, what's now Andy Burnham in Manchester to be able to join up the local authorities of Manchester with the NHS and begin that process. Because in lots of places, the county council's got a plan, but they just can't get it properly lined up with the NHS. Well, the NHS has come up with a plan, say for Merseyside or for Hampshire or for Kent, but they can't quite make it work with the local authority because the local authority's not got the resources to do it. So I think joining up decentralisation and then this big gap of political courage to actually make the decision and be unpopular for a few years while you sort it all out is the big thing that's missing. A mucky business with Tim Farron. We're speaking to Professor Francis Davis. He heads up Digby Stewart College at Roehampton University. Uh, Francis, could you give us a sense from the people you know, the places you've been, of what life is actually like uh, working in a healthcare setting right now under this level of pressure? Well, you might be um, a young trainee doctor working on the uh, uh, accident and emergency ward. And outside, you can see ambulances queuing up. In your hospital, you've got people not being triaged through your accident emergency ward and then sent on into the wards in the hospital, but being stuck there because there's nowhere for them to get in. And then you have to start making terrible decisions, mm. which goes something like this. A young girl comes in in crisis, right? She needs to have a bed, right? She needs to be sedated or put, but, and, and you have to put her on the on the cancer ward or on the elderly person's ward. And this is or, a young woman with a mental health crisis. Yeah, this, this will be a young woman. She might be seeing things or hearing things or smelling things that aren't there. She's terribly distressed. Her mum and dad are with her and, and she has to have a bed, but the psychiatric unit up the road is full. The mm. specialist unit that you've set up with the police is full. So you have to have her a bed. So what do you do? You put her on the cancer ward. What then happens is the person coming in poorly with their cancer can't be got onto that ward. And then the system starts to back up. So that's one place where it's really, really tough. And then another place might be that even before you get to that, you've got uh, an elderly person at home who's very frail and you might be running something that's called a virtual ward. Now, a virtual ward is when you get all the care workers, all the community nurses and all the doctors that know that individual patient and they're not actually on a ward, that patient is in their home, mm. yeah? And people are going round six or seven times a day and then they're all WhatsApping each other or having a little hookup on, on Zoom to see how that lady's going. Now, you know, 
10 years ago, she'd have been in hospital already because she needs the care. But you're basically having to hold her out outside the hospital for way beyond the time that uh, she should be held out because there's nowhere to bring her into the into the hospital. So you're, you're, you're in one sense, you're not being a doctor. You're it's almost like you become an air traffic controller and you're mm. trying to stop all the planes landing on your runway mm. for as long as you possibly can. But you've got a real sense that some of those planes are going to run out of fuel and then they're going to crash and burn. And where will they be when that happens? And, and that, that means that you're stressed the whole time, even before you start caring for people. So let's just think a moment then about those people who are doing the caring, whether they're doctors, nurses, paramedics, administrators, people working in social care. There's a real burden upon those people. So as, as Christians, um, I think we're assuming we should care because we think every single human being is of enormous dignity and importance, made in the image of God. And that obviously includes those people working in health and care settings. So how, how do we care for them? Well, I think this, I think we need to think about the different roles. Okay, so we've got the porter that no one ever mentions, mm. who's probably tired, running along a corridor, might catch his thumb in a door, and so he might be feeling fed up because he's now got a broken thumb and still trying to work. You've got the qualified nurse, you've got the doctor, and then you've got the managers. So it seems to me, you know, um, if we're seeing people in the local shops that we know are nurses, do we just go across and drop an extra loaf of bread in or just say thank you or thanks for your service? In America, they're really good like local people walking up to the soldiers that they know in their community and going thank you for serving our nation do we often do that mm. do we remember to thank the porter as well as the nurse probably not and then i think there's something at the local level so you might have um, a chunk of the nhs in a county like hampshire that's turning over about 1.1 billion and that's managed by 10 or 11 local nhs trusts and each of those trusts has got a management team where that management team at the moment is on full alert, is stretched and having to make really, really hard questions, managing upwards to Whitehall to keep Whitehall and the lack of money happy, managing downwards to keep their team excited and engaged. So in, the, in your local paper, who's writing in to say, well done, NHS? In your local church, who's walking up to the nurse and saying, well done? In your local shop, who's saying, look, have a, have, a, have a few beers on me to to encourage those folks we don't we don't do that as a matter of course and particularly at the minute i think it means a lot to those who are working in those roles one of the things that we hope to do in this program is to help christians just to see under the bonnet to see what's going on in in politics and current affairs above all else so that we can pray in an informed way so what should uh, Christians be praying for when it comes to our NHS and social care? Should it be those individuals in our congregations, in our communities? And should it be about some of the broader political stuff too? Yeah, so I, I think there's a phrase, isn't there, which is like, um, pr pray pray like the kingdom is nigh and organise like it's a long way off. Mm. Yeah, and so I think there's something about praying for those workers and volunteers Right. But then uh, to make sure that they're on the road, praying especially for the families and friends of those who are unwell, unwell. Mm. I mean, that's really crucial. Mm. And then there's something about more policy work together, more advocacy work together to make the case for more hospital beds, more staff and uh, more care homes and care workers in the community. And the moment we start talking about more care homes and care workers in the community, of course, in local churches, we have to look to ourselves. So. We set up all those volunteering schemes out of our congregation. We've still got paid part-time workers doing home care from our churches. Every deanery, every circuit, 
every diocese, every local independent church has the capacity to have at least one nurse on the books or maybe uh, a group of volunteer care workers. And so what are we doing ourselves? And then how are we using that experience to organise and advocate again for better public policy? Because it's not working. And uh, we need to tell that story into the corridors of power and tell them it's time to have the courage to put it right. Mm. Now, let's see if we could get you into position where you're obviously you advise the Brown government, the Cameron Clegg government. Uh, let's just say we were to transplant you into the Rishi Sunak government. What would you be advising him to do right now? Well, it's really funny because uh, where, where I'm sitting, um, I'm about half a mile from where Rishi Sunak's mother used to run her pharmacy. Of course, he's a Southampton lad, isn't he? Yeah. So I think the first thing I'd be saying is, what are you doing with the pharmacies? Because we're not unlocking the capacity of all the pharmacists. So get out there and use those. But um, no, so Mr. Sunak, you don't need a new royal commission because mm. that will put it off for years. Mr. Sunak, you need an urgent analysis and delivery unit, which draws together uh, NHS at the centre and the local areas, local authorities, and says, right, where are we going to find the money? Where are we going to find the people? And then how are we going to give the right people the right powers to sort this out? And I think the right people with the right powers to sort this out means let's not expect the problems of Cumbria to be sorted out by a well-meaning fella sitting in Whitehall. Mm. But how do we get the right powers out to Cumbria and more to Manchester and more to Tyneside and more to the southwest so that the people there can flex to the varying needs. Because if you live in inner city Manchester, you don't have the same social care needs or challenges in terms of distance or resources or staffing as if you live in rural Kent. Yeah, so that, that that's where the battle needs to be won. But if you don't start with Mr. Hunt in the room, an alleged expert in the NHS saying, here is the cash and this is how we're going to raise it, mm. then, then you're really asking the impossible of really committed people. So money, powers yeah and an absolute kind of like central will but will that is about driving it down to the people who are going to fix it which is the doctors and nurses and managers near you and near me probably very near Mr. Sunak's old pharmacy that up there on Hill Lane so Francis that's a good place to stop um I feel that you've probably written my uh, my next contribution on the NHS in the in the House of Commons I shall have to make sure I give you a, a citation if it happens but oh no, that would be an honour brilliant <laughs> Francis it's been an absolute pleasure having you thank you it's been an honour Each week, we give you the opportunity for you to ask any question you'd like about this mucky business of politics. It may be how an aspect of this world impacts us Christians who work within it, or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. I'd love to hear from you and attempt an answer. So please drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. Well, this week, we have a question from Lucy in London. She says, I recently watched a documentary about the fashion industry and labour exploitation behind it. I want to make a difference, but don't really know where to start. Can you help? Well, I think, first of all, Lucy, you've just exposed what is a really important issue and that Christians, if we're going to love our neighbour, we should absolutely care about those involved in the supply chain behind all of those things that we consume, whether it's things that we wear or eat or anything else. So first of all, I think you've set an example for all of us that we should care, really care, and look beneath the surface of the things that we buy. So what would we want to do? Well, it would make sense, wouldn't it, if at the very least, 
people when they're buying clothes, whether it's be in a shop or online, were made very, very uh, aware of the ethical processes or otherwise of the manufacture of those of those clothes, um, a kind of fair trade for clothing, if you like. And that means it would be worth your while going to see your member of parliament and indeed writing to the co companies that are behind the clothing ranges themselves to ask for a change in practice, to ask at least for labelling so that people knew and were informed to be able to shop ethically, just like we can buy fair trade food in our supermarkets, we should be able to buy fair trade clothes also. But the bottom line in all this is that we should care. And thank you, Lucy, for reminding us that our care for our neighbour means stretching beyond those that we see immediately to those who we will never meet, but who have a huge impact on our lives by producing the things that we consume. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, let's end our time together this week in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we bring before you our National Health Service, our social care system, and for all those people who require their services, those people whose health is not good, who need personal care, we pray for them. Uh, we pray for their, their healing, and we pray for them to be well cared for. And we pray for those who work in health and social care, care workers, in homes, in other people's homes, nurses, paramedics, ambulance drivers, doctors, administrators, managers, porters, everybody working within that system. We ask that you'd strengthen them through this very difficult time, that they would bear up under pressure, that they would be well treated um, by those who they care for and by those who ultimately have power over them in the political sphere. We pray, Father, for those who are at the top of the tree, uh, senior NHS managers in uh, the health service uh, in England, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland. We pray for the health secretary, Steve Barclay, for the chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, the prime minister, Rishi Sunak, and all those others involved in making big decisions. Pray you give them wisdom, Lord, and give them the strength they need to do their jobs and to do them well. But Father, we also lift up to you um, our whole country as we feel this pressure. We pray, Father, that at this time of crisis, there'll be many more, particularly those working in health professions, uh, who would turn to you, Lord Jesus, uh, would understand that uh, you have the answers that they crave the most. And help us to understand and um, to, to care passionately for those working and who are the recipients of the work of those in health and social care, but also um, just to remember that you are on the throne, that we need not panic. Whatever trials we're going through, they are temporary. And Lord, the victory is yours. And these things, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us for this week's show. Don't forget, you can catch up on past episodes, which feature interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash A Mucky Business. Thanks very much for being with us.